In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, God willing, today we're going to discuss um, in a little bit more detail um, the rites of the baptismal, um, the baptism uh, rite. Uh, on the occasion of that next week is the Feast of the Theophany on Saturday. Um, and so I thought we could go through, because uh, of course the Theophany is where we celebrate the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can go through the way that the church has arranged um, the baptismal prayers and kind of some of the meanings behind uh, what it is that we are we are doing. Um, so we know that baptism is the first of the seven sacraments because it is the first sacrament that any person um, partakes of because in order to participate in any of the other sacraments, um, first they have to be baptized. So baptism is the first, and it's called the door of the sacraments because it leads to the rest of the sacraments. Uh, St. Gregory, he said, as we are created of a body and soul, the first visible and the second invisible. So the washing and baptism comes as seen and unseen work of water and spirit. The body receives the work of the water according to the visible, and at the same time, the work of the spirit takes place invisibly, away from the body. The water is a sensible truth, while the spirit who washes the depths is an unseen truth. This is what the birth offers to us and makes us new instead of the old. Um, when we speak about the sacraments in general, and, and here as well, also in baptism, um, the sacraments, they always have a part that is visible and a part that's invisible. The visible part is like the physical part, and then the invisible part is the spiritual part. What we're really trying to get at is the spiritual part. This is what the, the, the part that, that has the most effect on us is the spiritual part. But there's no evidence of the spiritual part happening because it is invisible. So, you know, you could ask the question, wouldn't it have been possible for God to grant someone the grace of the baptism without having to be immersed in water? Um, isn't it possible for someone to uh, partake of, of God in a different way without something physical? I mean, God could have done anything, right? God could have done anything, but he chose to, 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 to set up the sacraments in a way that we can verify when they've happened, right? We can look at them and we can verify. We can say, did this person receive the Holy Spirit as a seal of, of baptism? And we say yes, because they went through the confirmation. They went through baptism and then confirmation. It was an event. It's something you can take pictures of it. You can see it. But that physical part of the sacrament is 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 not the whole thing the, the the part that we care about the most is the invisible part the part that uh, cannot be seen so the 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 baptismal rite has the physical part uh, the being baptized by water um, and it has the the invisible part being baptized by the spirit that's why the lord said that you have to be baptized by water and spirit the physical and the spiritual jesus christ established the sacrament by himself when he was baptized in the jordan river Okay, so St. Peter also, after he um, preached to the people, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Um, so we know, again, in the Feast of the Theophany, we celebrate the baptism of our Lord, and he set this for us, to see the necessity of baptism, and he himself was baptized. Um, and we also see in what St. Peter said, um, after the repentance of the people, um, after he preached to them, he's telling the people to be baptized in the name of Jesus, right, for the forgiveness of sins, for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, for this promise is for you and for your children. 
You know, some people who argue against the importance of the infant baptism, and they say, well, we should only baptize children, we should only baptize adults, we should only baptize people who are out of an age where they can uh, understand the faith and, 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 and declare it and it be their own faith. Well, here, even St. Peter, when he was speaking about baptism, he said, this promise is for you and your children. So it's also intended for children to be, to be baptized. St. Paul said that whoever is baptized into Christ has put on Christ. Okay? We put on Christ as a, 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 a and, and this is like the reconciliation with the Father that we get through baptism. He also confirms the fact that through baptism we are buried with Christ and rise with him. Hence we become united with him in the likeness of his death and resurrection. So baptism is also a death and resurrection. We die with Christ as though on the cross in baptism and when we come up out of the waters of baptism we are resurrected with christ this is also why baptism is by immersion you know some churches they baptize with the sprinkling of water but the reason that we baptize by immersion is because it is a burial right it is a burial we are buried in in in, in the baptismal font so we are going under the water like as a burial and we come up again as uh, a resurrection saint john chrysostom he said he did not say his death, rather the likeness of his death, because the two deaths are not the same, since his death is the body's death, but ours is a death of sin. So here what St. John is saying regarding these words of St. Paul um, is that we in the baptismal font um, are dying to sin, because we're not physically dying, right? There's not a physical death that's happening to us in the baptism, but we are dying to sin, like our old nature is dying, our fleshly nature is dying and we are resurrected as new creation as children of god as those who can be receiving the grace of the holy spirit and become christ-like so therefore baptism is the death of sin that lives in our old man the old man that we are born with that dies in the waters of baptism so that we can be renewed by the grace of god saint paul also adds when you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. So we believe that baptism is related to our true life in Christ. For in baptism, we are un united with Christ, die with him, and rise up again. Our old man that inherited the sin from Adam dies in the baptistry, and our new man inherits eternal life, rising up, uh, rises up after receiving the sacrament of baptism. And that's why... This, this sacrament is so critical, and that's why we say that there is no salvation apart from baptism. Because in baptism, we become the children of God. Yeah. Uh, I'm not aware of there being anything like that. Uh, in Hades, so uh, yeah, and they physically rose. So it is. It's a. It's a death and resurrection with Christ, but but it wasn't done. It wasn't. It wasn't done. They didn't have bodies, right? Like when we speak about the sacraments, right? We said that there's a physical component and a spiritual one, right? The reason we can partake of the physical component and the reason that it makes sense to have the physical component is because we, ha we have bodies, right? We have flesh. So the flesh can go in the water, right? But those people who were in Hades, they didn't have any bodies anymore. So the only type of salvation that they had was a spiritual one, not a physical one. So there was no physical sacrament that would be done on them 
for them to have salvation. Yeah. So, so two things. One is you can say about the right-hand thief that he was along with the Old Testament because he, he, died, he died along with Christ like as part of the, the Old Testament like everyone else who died. But also he actually physically died with Christ on the cross, so, which is what we say baptism is. So again, I want to I emphasize something. The sacraments are a, a way that God expresses to us the faith. But God is not limited by them. Like, God is not limited by the sacraments that we have or the rites that we have. Like, if God wanted to save someone apart from them, he could. But that doesn't mean that that's the intended normal practice for it to be done. For instance, um, when St. Peter was speaking to Cornelius, the Gentile, the Roman centurion, um, he uh, was preaching to them, and as a sign from God that they that the gentiles were to receive salvation god allowed the holy spirit to descend on the cornelius and his family and those people who were there before they were baptized now, when we say in the baptismal it happens the reverse first you're baptized and then you receive the holy spirit but for them they received the holy spirit and then they were baptized that's the only time this ever happened right and god did it intending to send a message to saint peter saying God has accepted them. And so St. Peter said, well, if they've already received the Holy Spirit, what prevents them from being baptized? And he baptized them. So God is not limited by the rules that he puts, right? There is exceptions to every rule. There is exceptions to when we baptize by immersion. Like if a person's in the hospital and they can't be baptized by immersion, we don't baptize them by immersion. So even though there's a certain intended way that it should be done, it doesn't mean that in certain situations, God doesn't accept a different one. Right. So if there was a situation, let's say, where, um, you know, a person wants to be baptized but can't for whatever reason or, you know, I don't want to I don't want to list, you know, exceptions because I don't know them. But all I'm saying is there is there there there, there is a there is a way for God to um, overlook the right when in the Old Testament, when King David was running for his life and he was hungry, he went into the tabernacle and he ate of the showbread. The showbread is bread that was only supposed to be eaten by the priests, and it was unlawful for anyone else to eat them. But God did not condemn him for him doing that, and he understood it was because he was starving, right? So, so there's an intended way for something to be done, but there's also exceptions that God might grant be based on the situation. So. Through baptism, we enter into a new relationship with God, for we become his adopted children. St. John Chrysostom compared Adam and the coming forth of Eve out of his side on the one hand and the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming forth of the church out of his side on the cross on the other. And he ties this thought with the baptism and communion. So the St. John Chrysostom, he sees that when Christ was on the cross, okay, um, and, and um, he, his side was pierced, that what came out of like this blood and water that came out this is a symbol of the church. Just as Eve came out of the side of Adam, so the church came out of the side of Christ. St. John Chrysostom says, One of the centurions came and pierced him in his side with a spear, and immediately water and blood came out. The water was a symbol of baptism and the blood of communion. Out of these two came the church. By this Christ becomes the one who formed the church completely out of his side as God formed Eve out of Adam's side while he was asleep. 
And as he took the rib out of Adam while he was in deep sleep, likewise he gave us the blood and the water after his death. Okay, so he, he sees that this blood and water coming out of the side of Christ is a symbol of the baptism and the communion. The water symbolizes baptism and the blood symbolizes communion, which are two of the sacraments that are necessary for salvation um, coming out of Christ. So the church is born out of the side of Christ. These sacraments are from the side of Christ, just as Eve came from the side of Adam. In this sacrament, the Holy Spirit descends upon the water, sanctifies it, and gives it the power of burial, resurrection, and the uniting with Christ. In John 3, 5, Christ said, very, sure, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Okay, so Christ makes it very clear that this sacrament is necessary for salvation. No one can enter into the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. St. John Chrysostom says, It is not man who runs this sacrament, but the grace of the Holy Spirit. For it is the one who sanctifies the nature of water and touches your heads, that is, the heads of those who approach the sacrament of baptism with the hand of the bishop, who is the one officiating um, the baptism. Timing. Since the beginning of the third century, it was generally preferred to baptize the adults on the resurrection day when they would have prepared themselves throughout the Holy Great Fast and the Holy Week period. So in the early church, there was a period of catechism for about three years. So anyone who wanted to join the church would study and prepare themselves for three years. And then um, as they, uh, the year that they would be baptized, they would be baptized on the Feast of the Resurrection after having uh, fasted for the great fast, uh, and then all of the catechumens being baptized together um, on the Feast of the Resurrection. They also used to baptize on Pentecost and on Epiphany. However, it, it is acceptable to baptize at any time of the year. So now, nowadays, we, we do the baptisms at any time, um, and we, we don't require the catechumens to wait three years, but they go through a period of catechism. Um, it doesn't have to be three years. Infants can be baptized at any time, no restrictions on timing. However, if the mother would like to take communion on the same day as her baby, she either waits 40 days for a boy or 80 days for a girl after the birth. So um, there's, a, there's a misunderstanding about this. A lot of people think that the reason that there is a waiting period after a child is born, either 40 days for a boy or 80 days for a girl, uh, is because we can't baptize before then. Actually, you can baptize immediately. The, the waiting period is not for the baby to be baptized. The waiting period is for the mother to take communion after she gives birth. And this is based on what um, what God had said in Leviticus chapter 12, which is the rules he had set forth of after giving birth to a boy or to a girl. And that's the, the waiting period. So um, a lot of times the, the, the mother, she wants to, you know, wait until she can take communion again. So they do the baptism um, after the 40 or the 80 days are done um, so that she can take communion on the same day as the child. And that's typically why people wait. But there's no rule that says that you have to wait. You could baptize the baby uh, at any time. The rite of the baptism is divided into four parts. The first part, uh, well, here it's kind of five, but the, 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 the first part here is the absolution of the woman. It's a special prayer that's done on the mother um, in order to prepare her for taking communion. Um, then there's the baptism prayers, which includes the renunciation of Satan. One of the prayers that said is a, a renunciation of Satan. It was seen actually um, in the early church that all baptisms are uh, exorcisms. 
And that's why a lot of the prayers of the baptism are related to the casting out of Satan. Um, also, a lot of the, the baptisms in the early church, they were done on those who are already adults, more than children, um, because the majority of the converts to the church and the majority of baptisms were done from pagans, people who were pagan and coming to the church from, from paganism. And so being pagan, they were seen as being demon-possessed. And so the, the church would pray the exorcism prayers on them as a part of the baptismal prayers, and there would be a very explicit renunciation of Satan. Um, nowadays, um, I mean, the prayers are still said, um, and when, when, a, when a child is being baptized, the mother says these prayers, um, this renunciation on behalf of her child. After this, there is the consecration of the water, which is a prayer that is prayed on the water to prepare the water for the baptism. Um, and also we use oil to anoint the water in preparation for the baptism. After the baptism is done, um, then there is the Holy Myrun, which is the consecration, um, or sorry, the confirmation, where the, the person being baptized is confirmed, being anointed with oil. And then at the after the liturgy, after the person takes communion, there is what we call loosing of the girdle, which is um, the red ribbon that is put on a person after they're baptized. After they take communion, there is a small prayer that's said, and then that red ribbon is removed. And we'll go into more detail about um, all of these. Okay, so the first one is the absolution of the woman. So in the absolution of the woman, the priest prays the thanksgiving prayers and raise incense while the Pauline epistle is read. Then the Trisagion is chanted, followed by the psalm and gospel. After this, the priest prays the litanies and then says another prayer, O Lord God, the Pantocrator, the Father of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the treasure of light. And then there is the standard conclusion. It's very similar to like the raising of incense, like matins and vespers. And the priest anoints the mother with the oil of the unction of the sick, after which she may partake of the Holy Communion. So actually on the day of the baptism, there's four different oils that are used. The unction of the sick oil is used to anoint the woman to take communion. And then there's three other oils that are used, both to anoint the water in preparation for the baptism. And then those same three oils are used again to anoint the person who is being baptized. The three oils that are used are, the, it's called simple oil, which is just prayer, uh, like oil that's been prayed on. Uh, typically, what can be used is oil that is prayed on during the Vigil of the Apocalypse. So during the Vigil of the Apocalypse, um, there is oil um, that is prayed on throughout the, the, the prayers at night, and the people are anointed. Um, so this, this oil is kept and can be used in various other things, uh, including uh, for, for the baptism as the simple oil. Yes. Yes. So so it would be done for the mother whenever she's ready to take communion separately as a separate prayer. Yeah. Right. Yes. You skip it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so simple oil. Then 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 there there's two other oils. The one is called the Galileon oil or the oil of joy. And then the third oil is the Holy Myrun. This oil is made periodically every few years by the bishops of the Holy Synod. Um, and what they do is they take the batch of oil that was made the previous time and they make a new batch of oil and there's a special prayers that are prayed on it. It's very lengthy prayers. Um, as they are praying, uh, at a certain point, the oil that's there 
is taken to be the holy the oil of joy. Then on the remaining oil they continue to pray, and then the oil that's the, the final oil that that they have is is considered to be the myrun oil. And this oil is used for different things. So like the myrun oil is used, let's say, to consecrate the vessels that are that are used on the altar. Um, uh, is one of the main other uses of this oil. And the, the Galilean oil also has other uses in different rites of the church. Um, but essentially the holy the oil of joy and the holy Myron oil are made in Egypt by the Holy Synod and then distributed to all the monasteries around the world. And then all of the churches that want um, this oil will get it from the monastery. So here we get it from the monastery in Corpus Christi. Um, they provide it for us. The Myron oil is made from, like I said, mixing with the previous batch of oil. And this mixing it goes all the way back to the time of Christ, where it's said that the original batch of this oil was made uh, uh, with the spices that were used to anoint the body of Christ at his burial. So it has remnants of, traces of, the spices that were used to anoint the Lord Jesus Christ for his burial. There are various readings that are read during this prayer. Um, the, the Pauline epistle, the psalm, and the gospel are all different depending on if the mother gave birth to a boy or to a girl. And the, the focus there is just on like the readings are related to either men or women. Um, there, there's nothing, there's no, no, nothing very significant um, uh, about the two. It's just fo kind of focusing on the, the gender of the person who is born. Then there's, the next one is the baptism prayers, which includes the renunciation of Satan. So the priest places the cross on the woman's head and places a praise and absolution, asking God to absolve and bless the child's mother and make her worthy to share in the holy sacraments without falling into condemnation. Now this part, it's, it's like the very first part of the baptismal prayers is still actually on the mother. So if, if this is an adult that's being baptized, then this part is also skipped. Okay. Oh, here's a description of the three oils. Okay, so the simple oil is pure olive oil um, from the Vigil of the Apocalypse. Um, the Galilean oil is also called the oil of joy. And then the Myron oil, which is used for the confirmation, is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, the, the next part of the prayer is the anointing of the oil uh, on the catechumen, on the person who's being baptized. So the, pray, the priest prays over the oil of catechumens, which is the simple oil. Uh, and he says, I anoint you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God with oil of catechumens and the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of God. Amen. And uh, we, we anoint um, the chest, the back, the hands. Um, and we say, may, th may this oil bring to naught all the works of the adversary. Amen. So again, this is part of the exorcism um, that is happening on this person. Then there's the renunciation. So if it's a child that's being baptized, the mother undresses her child and holds him or her on her left arm, looking towards the west. So east in the church represents like the heavenly, represents that we are facing God because it says that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns to earth, he's going to come from the east. So that's why when we pray in our churches, we're always facing the east. When we pray from the Bay in our homes, we face the east. We're always facing the east when we pray. So facing the west is like l looking at Satan pretty much, like the opposite, okay? Uh, and actually... In the, in the Old Testament, when they would pray in the tabernacle or in the temple, they faced the west, right, instead of the east, because the Lord Jesus Christ hadn't come yet, 
right, in his incarnation. So, so when, when, when the mother or the person being baptized is looking toward the west, it's like they're addressing the devil, okay? And that's why in, in this recitation, um, she says, I renounce you, Satan, and all your unclean works and all your wicked angels and all your evil demons and all your power and all your abominable service and all your evil cunning and error and all your army and all your authority and all the rest of your impieties. I renounce you, I renounce you, I renounce you. Um, and the, this is done while holding the child on the left arm. And, the, and the, the reason this is important is because the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about how his sheep are on the right and the goats are on the left. Like the righteous are on the right and the wicked are on the left. So um, baptism is essentially taking us from the left side to the right side. So she's holding the child on the left while addressing Satan, like indicating that the child is born in sin, right? And, and so the child is on the left side. Right, not on the not righteous yet. Yes. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess I'm not familiar with that, but if if so, then probably yes. That's why. Yeah. So after the renunciation is done, okay, the priest says something, a silent prayer and breathes into the face of the child, right? He says, come out, unclean spirit. He breathes into the face of the child, says, come out, unclean spirit. He says it silently, so nobody hears him say it, okay? Um, uh, undressing the child, so at this point, the child is undressed. Undressing the child reminds us of the nakedness of Adam and Eve when they obeyed Satan and disobeyed the commandment of God, and they were put to shame and hid from him when they realized their nakedness. So, like, the child is like an estate, of nakedness, of barrenness, okay? And facing west symbolizes exile and separation from God and submission to the dominion of Satan, okay? I don't know, maybe so knows not to offend anyone. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, then the mother or the person being baptized turns toward the east. So now turn toward the east, we're like praying, addressing God. And moves the child from the left to the right, saying because in the sacrament of baptism, the child is gaining salvation. So it's moving from the left to the right. Uh, and then repeats after the priest, he she says, uh, or, or the person ba being baptized says, I confess you, O Christ my God, and all your saving laws, and all your living service, and all your life-giving works. I believe in one God, God the Father, the Pantocrator, and his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, and the resurrection of the flesh, and the one only holy Catholic and apostolic church. Amen. So it is essentially a confirmation of faith. It is like kind of like the like a mini creed uh, to say that this is what, what I believe, and um, it is based on this faith that I am choosing to be baptized. Facing east signifies the light as the sun rises in the east. Moving the child from the left arm to the right arm symbolizes that Christ will separate the sheep from the goats, placing the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Finally, the priest asks the mother three times, do you believe? And she responds, I believe, each of those three times. Okay? So that's the, at this point now, the person being baptized has been anointed with the simple oil, which is the first of the three oils, and they've done the renunciation. Okay? Now, the, the person is going to be anointed with the second oil, which is the Galilean oil or the oil of joy. 
um, the priest anoints the, the, the baptized in their heart, their back, their arms with the signs of the cross, saying, I anoint you with the oil of gladness given against all works of the adversary unto your grafting into the sweet olive tree of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church of God. Amen. So the church is like a tree, and this new person is like being grafted into the tree as like a new branch of the tree. And so he's saying, in this, with this prayer and with this anointed, you're being anointing, you're being grafted uh, into this tree. Okay? And so that is the end of the baptismal prayer, the renunciation of Satan part. That's the end of that. The next is the consecration of the water. Now, in practice, what typically happens, because uh, Abuna gets to church early and the people who are coming for baptism don't come that early, uh, is that he will already have prayed the consecration of the water on his own before the people even arrive. So in practice, this consecration of the water is actually the very first thing that's done. When, when the priest arrives, he starts to fill the baptismal and he starts to pray the consecration of the water. So by the time that the people arrive, we start with the absolution of the woman and then the baptismal prayers, right? And then this is skipped because it's already been done. Okay, so if you've ever attended a baptism and you didn't see this part, it's probably because it was done before you arrived, okay? I mean, that's the right, is to go in order, but this, th this th the reason that this can be done without the people present is because it's not a prayer on the person being baptized. It's a prayer on the water. So yes, it should be, that should be the order, but in practice, it's typically never done this way. At least I've never attended a baptism that was done this way because um, it's always the case that the people who are being baptized like don't want to come that early because it's very early. Um, the, the way they come a little later um, with their child and they're baptized that way. Uh, like 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, in some places, we don't do it here anymore, but in some places, Abuna would actually pray this prayer on the water the night before, uh, and, and, and the water would already be prepared so that the next day the water is ready, and he wouldn't do But But it's not preferred. It's not preferred to do that. Okay. So this consecration of the water, this is called the liturgy of baptism, and it's similar in structure to the liturgy of the Eucharist, liturgy of the faithful. Right? It includes a thanksgiving prayer, readings from the Pauline, Catholic epistle, Acts, Psalm, and Gospel. These are all done as part of the prayer. Um, the consecration of the baptismal waters is done to prepare it for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, the three oils are used. Okay, The, the simple oil, the uh, the oil of joy, and then the holy myrun. But um, I think we're out of time now, but God willing, next time we'll speak about the rest of this consecration of the water uh, and then the confirmation, which is the anointing of the person being baptized with the myrun oil, and then um, we'll conclude uh, after that. Okay, any questions? Yeah. You're talking about in the absolution of the woman? This?
I mean, I can't speak really to how these specific prayers are selected, but I will say that in any prayer where it's there are specific readings for like men or women, like even in funerals. So some people don't know that in funerals, the readings that are read are actually different if it's a man's funeral versus a woman's funeral. There are some readings that are common between the two. Like I think the Pauline reading is the same, but the gospel reading is different. And um, and like I think for women, like the gospel reading is focusing on like um, I, I don't I can't remember exactly, but 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 it focuses on like uh, like the righteous women, right? Versus like in, in the men. Yeah, I wouldn't take it as being like okay, this means that you know like 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 she's like like her, she has to be married or her goal is to be married or her value is in being married it's just uh, a, a a scripture reading that's talking about women like godly women yeah i mean if i can let me see what So this is the this is the the reading. It says, um, "But to the rest, I not the Lord say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her." So he's speaking. This is when Saint Paul is speaking about what happens when you have like um, like you had, let's say you had two Gentiles who were married and and one of them became a Christian and the other didn't. What should happen, right? And so Saint Paul is saying that if they're willing still to live together, then it's good. They shouldn't separate. Right, because maybe one of them will have a, a positive effect on the other. Okay, so so it says, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. So he's saying, like, don't leave him if you are willing to to stay together. Okay, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So essentially, saying. The, the holy and righteous believing person will have a positive uh, effect on their spouse. So it's not speaking about how like a woman should be married. It's just being like when like a woman in that situation, her righteousness would like rub off on her husband. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, that you prepare us for the Feast of the Theophany, and we look to you, O Lord, for all of the gifts of salvation that you have granted to us in this beautiful sacrament of baptism. We ask, O God, that you help us to continue and fulfill all of our vows of baptism and to live a life of righteousness and holiness. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, here is as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.